Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Amen. Well, uh, thanks for gathering. I, uh, I said earlier, I don't know exactly what to uh, think about or what's going to come out of these next few minutes. Um, I kind of have felt like, uh, you know, just kind of going forward, not talking about the last few weeks and the things that have unfolded. And if you're new to the congregation or joining in, uh, my mom was in an accident about uh, three weeks ago and passed away uh, a couple weeks ago. And so uh, just getting back in town late last night from uh, all of that. And... uh, so I thought, well, I'm not really ready to talk about any of that. I'm not really, I don't really know what I think yet. I don't really know how I feel yet. Certainly we've been through, uh, you know, some traumatic days and uh, time of grieving and funerals and all of that stuff that happens. And, and then I started to reflect on this day and uh, where we are in the journey. We're talking about a time to heal and we're talking about a time to heal our sphere of influence and so I thought, I don't know exactly how I will talk about that without thinking at least a little bit about my mom, uh, who has exerted in my life uh, probably the single most powerful sphere of influence of any, any other single person in my whole journey in life. And so God knew at some point when we were putting together uh, this calendar and these moments that, uh, first of all, how important a time to heal would be. And maybe talking this Sunday about a sphere of influence, how important that would be. But then the passage that we're in from 1 Peter chapter 5 has been the last part of it, chapters, verses 6 through 10. It's been my life first for a long time. In 1994, we had a brand new baby. Sonny had just been born. And I was drawn to this passage. I don't know, I preached on it a couple of times. I taught a couple of Bible studies through that fall and into the winter season. Uh, couldn't get away from it. And into early 95, uh, it still just kind of lingered in my life in a big way. And then uh, around Easter time uh, in 1995, uh, I was diagnosed with cancer. And this, this verse sort of became the foundation of those, those months, those weeks and months of not knowing and being treated and surgery and all the things that ensued. And you don't have to send me a lot of messages. I'm okay I've been okay for several decades now. Uh, But then to have, you know, a time to heal and the sphere of influence and now this passage of Scripture, humble yourself therefore under God's mighty hand that in due time he may lift you up. Cast all of your cares upon him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert for Satan roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, knowing that your brothers and sisters throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of temptation. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will himself make you strong and firm and steadfast. So I guess I would say we're celebrating the Lenten season. We're bringing it to a close this week. We're entering into the Passion Week. And and we've been talking about the fact that this is a time when we celebrate the lengthening of days, when the sun does its powerful work of bringing life out of what has been dormant and dead through the winter season. And there's new life and there's new hope. And this season, this Lenten season, is a time to heal. 
And I can't think of any place in our journey in our life as Christians and as the church and as individuals that we need to heal more than our sphere of influence. And so before I, I say anything at all, I just want to ask you this question. Do you feel that way? Does that ring true of you? Do you feel like there's any need at all in your life to have your personal sphere of influence healed? Do you feel like that you have a powerful, personal, effective sphere of influence? Might be a few people, might be a few more people, it might be as an employer over employees, it might be as an employee with friends, it might be as a parent, it might be as a grandparent, it might be just simply as a presence on social media. Do you at all feel any conviction about your sphere of influence and what it means? Just a few days ago, we, we stood in a, in a sanctuary in a church and, and people talked about my mom. And they talked about the sphere of influence. They talked about how they felt being around her. They talked about her kindness and her gentleness and, the, and her support and her love and her humor and the fact that she was always up to something. And it's convicting to me to think about that. It's convicting to me uh, what it means to have some shepherding responsibility for other people. Do you feel, do you personally feel that you have a shepherding responsibility for other human beings? And then if you do feel that you have a shepherding responsibility and that your sphere of influence has some understanding, you feel kind of good about it, would the people in your sphere of influence say the same thing? Would they say that you are being a positive force, a positive piece of influence in their life and in their journey? Because it makes no sense to preach a whole sermon about our sphere of influence if none of us feel convicted about that. And then if you do feel like that you're, you're exerting a powerful, positive sphere of influence over those close to you, then let me ask you this. Do you, do you feel like you're exerting any positive shepherding sphere of influence over people who are annoying? Over people who vote differently than you? Over people who maybe are a different race or a different culture? Are the words that you speak about others? See, this is a place in the kingdom of God where there is no racism. There is no prejudice. There is only the children and people of God, regardless of race and culture and color and background and experience. Are you exerting a positive shepherding sphere of influence over people who have a very different experience in life than you do? Or does it make you angry? Do you fight against that? Do you deny it? Because the scripture says, and we can push this one more step, that we are to love our enemies. I'm not sure that the list of people that are annoying to us or, or cause us to kind of post on Facebook or get upset or whatever it is are actually our enemies, but we're supposed to love them too. How many of us would say, I'm having a positive sphere of influence, a shepherding influence over people who I consider to be enemies, who are genuinely against me, who are really out to get me? Because I don't know about you, but I don't think I can take much more conflict. I don't think I can handle one more conspiracy theory. 
I, I don't think I can handle one more bad attitude. I, I don't think I can handle the aggressive sort of behavior that I experience. I, I don't think I can handle much more loss. I'm ready for something else. And I don't believe that the kingdom of God is, is limited by COVID-19 or the government or who is the president or which party's doing what or what happened in Washington this week. Or I, I don't think the kingdom of God is limited by that. I think it's an excuse. I, I think the kingdom of God comes alive when you and I decide that there is a time to heal our sphere of influence. And let's be honest, the church is suffering from a, from a terrible public relations problem. And some of it's not fair, but some of it is. And when I reflect on the culture and the world and the politics and, and, and I read this stuff about how, you know, we got to open our eyes and, and, you know, people are after us and it's going to take us down. I just think about this. Nobody's mad at Mother Teresa. She, she's not in anybody's radar. Somehow, still, the spirit of shepherding is something that is longed for and needed in our culture and in our world. And that you and I are the, are the ones responsible to carry this out. Some of us are struggling to carry it out in our own homes, in our own families, with our own children. There's animosity being built up because we don't agree on the politics. Listen, you old folks, it wasn't that long ago that we were the ones. That we were the ones with our rock music and bell bottoms and long hair and and drug culture of the 60s and 70s. We were the ones that, that our parents and grandparents were looking at and going, these kids are going to ruin the world. And we did a pretty good job of ruining the world. And some of us, we're, we're in a space where we just need to stop and slow down and say, God, help us. God, please, please help us. When it comes to shepherding language in the New Testament, there's no shortage of the imagery and what it looks like. In fact, what Jesus says is this is the attitude of God towards all of his children. He's like a good shepherd, Luke 15, 4, who had a hundred sheep and 99 were safe, but one was lost. Will he not leave the 99 and go in search of the one lost sheep? And so this image of shepherding, God says, you know, Jesus says, this is the attitude of the Father towards all of His children. He longs to reach, to search, to love, to grasp, to rescue His children. Is that our spirit? Is that our attitude? It feels like to me that we, we kind of have an attitude that says, we're better off without those sheep. We're better out without those folks. Jesus was frequently moved as He taught with the emotions of a shepherd. Mark 6, 34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching that when's the last time that we looked at conflict in our world and we looked at situations and circumstances and our emotion, our emotion what bubbles up out of us is a sense of compassion because they're like sheep without a shepherd. It was the attitude and spirit. And then John records how Jesus proclaims himself to be the good shepherd. John 10. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way as a thief and a robber, 
The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And when he's brought them out, all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. I am the gate for the sheep, he says in verse 7. I am the good shepherd, he says in verse 14. We have all of this shepherding imagery, and I think it's incredibly powerful. Of all the things that Jesus taught, and all the metaphors he used, and all the things that he might have said, I, I don't think any were more impactful to Peter than this imagery of a shepherd. And when you stop and you begin to think about Peter's journey, he's such a paradox. So, so you have Peter who denies Christ. I mean, what a famous story. What a, what a thing to be famous for. The three-time denial of Jesus by Peter on the night of the crucifixion. So, so here is Peter who, who at this moment of important, vital, life-changing, world-changing, cosmically significant, he denies Jesus loudly, disrespectfully. And then I think, but Peter was the only one in a position to deny Jesus. He, he had willingly come along with Jesus. He had willingly stayed close. He was trying to be somewhere nearby so he could offer whatever support he might. The other disciples were in no position to deny Jesus because they weren't there. <laughs> they were gone. They ran off. When things happened over in the garden, they fled. But Peter followed along. And he stayed close. And he tried to catch a glimpse of Jesus and maybe have Jesus catch a glimpse of him. And so he left himself vulnerable. He left himself right in the middle of it all. He left himself in a place where he had to make a life and death choice. Where accusations were being thrown at him. And in that moment, after all of those choices to be in the middle of it, he, he failed. He weakened. He got scared. And he denied Jesus, not once, but three times. And then a few weeks later, a few days later, on the Sea of Galilee, after Jesus has risen from the dead and, and the disciples have seen him, they've gone back home. They don't know what else to do. And so Peter, just south of the city of Capernaum, he, he's fishing with the other disciples. And along the shore, they see someone walking. And Peter recognizes ultimately that it's Jesus and he leaps from the boat and he goes to the shore and, and Jesus has prepared breakfast for the disciples. You, you know the scene. It's recorded in John 21. And as, as Peter and the disciples come ashore, Jesus is preparing breakfast for them. And after they've eaten together, Jesus looks at Peter and he says to them, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you, you know I do. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Jesus, you know I do. Feed my lambs, he says. Peter, do you love me? And Peter is grieved and pierced in his heart. Jesus, you know all things. And you know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. See, I think Jesus understood that the three-time denial needed the three-time healing. And I think in this moment now, this imagery of the shepherd, this imagery and metaphor that Jesus has used and talked about the good shepherd, I think it becomes really 
welded into the heart and soul of Peter so that it comes out in what he says, it comes out in what he thinks, it comes out in what he understands about who he is and about what his task in the world is. But it's not just about Peter, it's about you and it's about me. And it's about our task in the world. And that's what he writes about. That's what he's writing in this letter. 1 Peter chapter 5. Listen to his words. To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care watching over them. Not because you must but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you, clothe yourself with the humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. I would guess that for most of us as we sit in this space this morning think of ourselves more as sheep than shepherds. But somehow we've gotten it in our heads that what this is all about is us receiving something. But Peter very explicitly says, listen, I, I, I want you to understand the elders among you, he specifies, that you are shepherding the flock. And you have the spirit and attitude of a shepherd, not because you have to, but because you want to. Because you decide to, because you're willing to. And so we could probably go, well, okay, let's figure this out. The structure of the old church, the apostles, those were the ones who had been with Jesus. Those were the primary teachers. The elders were those elected to go about the business of the church, to do the administrative work of the church. And if we just left it there, then a lot of us would go, well, I'm not an elder, so therefore I don't really have to be concerned with this. But you've got to remember that Peter has just spoken in this letter about the fact that we are a priesthood of believers. Let that sink in for a minute. We are a holy people, a holy nation, a priesthood of believers, living stones being built into a holy temple. So that means that all of us have priestly duties in the kingdom of God. That all of us bear responsibility in this thing called the church of Jesus Christ. That we all are invited, created to be shepherds and to have a sphere of influence. And if that doesn't convince you, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither does someone light a candle and put it under a basket. No, you set it on a stand so it gives light to everyone in the house. Let your light shine in such a way that they see your good deeds and give praise to your Father in heaven. This is our responsibility this is who we are called to be, the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Jesus Christ, the hands and feet of a loving God who pulls people in 
by kindness and gentleness and faithfulness. Are we? Are we? I, I see eight things. I know that's terrifying. So we'll go fast. That are the qualities of the shepherd that are mentioned specifically in this passage. Number one, they're servants. Be shepherds of God's flock, not because you have to, but because you want to. There's the heart of it. I mean, there's the heart of it. Let's be honest. For far too long, we have allowed the imagery of church and the kingdom of God to be a self-help program. I'm weary to death of it. I'm weary of the idea that we are consumers of the word of God and the power of God. That we come and we check in and we invite God to help us get on with whatever it is that we're trying to accomplish. Help us to accomplish our dreams. Help us to get our world to work right. Help us to feel better. Help us to think better. Help us to... Listen, this is a redemption program. It's not a self-help program. God is in the business of redeeming what's twisted up inside of us. He's in the business of redeeming what we've twisted up. But he's in the business of redeeming why we wanted to get twisted up in the first place. And let's be honest. Not only do we get messed up, but we get messed up because we want to get messed up. Because it's appealing to us. And God in His grace just simply says, I want to visit on you a redemptive process by which you confess your sins and we get you untwisted. And then I immediately want you to go out and help other people get untwisted. But it feels like that the whole kingdom of God has gotten stuck here. What do we do? We just try to take care of ourselves. We're just trying to take care of me. Listen, you don't have to be a shepherd. You can't be coerced into loving people. You can't be coerced into liking people. You can't be coerced into having empathy. You can't be coerced into having compassion. You do it because you want to. You do it because you want to be treated that way. You do it because Jesus taught us, treat other people the way you want to be treated. Don't judge them, love them. Knowledge puff up, but love builds up. Be these people. Be gentle and loving and kind. Be a servant. Whoever wants to be greatest among you will be the servant of all. Is that true? Is that true? Is that true of us? Number two, literally, verse three, not lorded and over those entrusted to you be examples of the flock. The Greek here literally means that there is no meanness. Not lording it over means, it literally is translated, don't let there be any meanness in you. That means no, no attitudes of entitlement, no attitudes of superiority, no attitudes of elitism, not looking for shortcuts or special treatment, not thinking of ourselves as insiders while other people are outsiders, not looking for the spotlight, not desiring that our work be appreciated, not getting discouraged when people don't notice us. Seed point number one, we are servants and in us there is no meanness. It's a big word in Greek. It literally means avoid all annoying pettiness. Could we just stop? That's a whole sermon. Let's just quit. Avoid all annoying pettiness. I don't even think we need to say anything else. Number three, be respectful. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to the elders. All of you, clothe yourself with humility these gets all tangled up. So number three is respect. Number four is humility. 
But literally, what he's saying is, this is what intergenerational ministry in the church looks like, respect each other. You young people, respect the old people. You young people, understand that there is experience and there is life and there is expertise and there's a lot of things going on with older people. There's a resource in people who have lived some decades that you need. I'm living in the reality that I can't pick up the phone anymore and call my mom. She understood things that I will never understand because she had lived days and seasons and lives and experiences that I have yet to live. But it works the other way too. Older folks respect the younger folks. We're going to hand this thing off to them sooner than later. We're going to pass it on. And if we're busy tearing them down for their perspective and for their thoughts and for their enlightenment and for their wokeness, then we're going to be handing it off to a bunch of discouraged, disenfranchised kids. And that is not the kingdom of God. This is a kingdom in which the shepherding involves respect. We respect each other. The word here also has a deeper meaning, and that is it literally means the knot of humility. And so it sort of bleeds into the next point, as I said, but but think about this. On that night, Jesus rose from the table, and wrapping a towel around himself, he began to wash their feet. That expression in John talks about the tying of the knot. The imagery in the participle is the tying of the knot. It is the knot of humility. How many of us in respect to those younger than us, older than us, different than us, how many of us are filled with respect? I'm weary to death. I don't want to read one more Facebook post of a superior Christian tearing down somebody else's perspective. I'm just sick of it. And I know we say, well, we've got to fight for righteousness. Well, listen, short of the Son of God, I'm not sure any of us have cornered the market on righteousness. I'm not sure that our perspective can be sanctified holy. I think what has to happen is you and I have to continually be learning, be humble, be open to the changes. I'm so thankful for people that believed in me when when I didn't really deserve it. I said just a few days ago in my mom's service, my mom always believed I was better than I am. Do you believe that about other people? Or do you tear them down? We're to be respectful. And then humility. He's already touched on it as he talked about this respect. The language is strongly oriented. But then he comes back to it. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you, clothe yourself with humility because God opposes the proud. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand. He says we can respect each other for this reason. Because we have all humbled ourselves under the shepherd who shepherds us. Stop thinking you're the top of the food chain. It doesn't all begin and end with you and your insight and your understanding. It doesn't begin with my insight and my understanding. It's rooted in respect and it's rooted in humility. And there is no way that I can stand in judgment of others and somehow have it look like shepherding. Oh, I, I understand that, you know, sometimes I have to correct my children or my grandchildren or whatever that is. But let me tell you something. I can only do that as I have earned the right to stand in that space with them. I can't send my children an email and correct them through an email. I, I got to have influence in their life. I, I got to have not power, but authority. Authority is what they give me 
I can say things to them because they ask me. And they ask me because my sphere of influence is such that they want to understand. They want to know. They're not afraid of me. I'm safe for them. We're supposed to be that. We're supposed to live like that. Number five, trusting. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It just simply means this. I can do all of this because God takes care of me. I'm not panicked. I'm not preoccupied with my own story. Why can't we shepherd others? Because we're preoccupied with us. Until we can let go and trust that God's going to take care of it. He's going to work it out. It's going to be okay. God's in control. This is my father's world. He's not not sideways about the election. He's not sideways about COVID. He's not sideways about wearing a mask or a vaccine. He's not sideways about any of that stuff. I trust him. He's going to take care of me. He's going to see me through. My mom went to heaven. (laughs) I I sat by her bedside. She was having conversations with her sisters. She's talking to folks. You say, well, you know, bad things happen. Yeah, yeah, they do. But ultimately, God takes care of us. He takes care of us. He takes care of us through whatever it is we are going through, right up and through the moment of our death. And that's what we celebrate this week. Death has been swallowed up in victory. We live in this place of trust, watchfulness. Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, roams around. We're supposed to be watchful, not reactive. We're watchful. We're attentive. We're looking for ways to protect those. We're the shepherd. We're watching for things that might damage the people around us. Our attitude is not judgmental. It's protective. We speak gently. Do you see yourself that way? Do you see yourself as a shepherd? Number seven, enduring, resist him, standing firm in the faith. Listen, shepherds don't panic. They are steadfast. How frantic is your life? How frantic is your emotional world? Some of us are frantic about everything. I mean, we're just frantic about everything. If the windshield wiper on our car doesn't work, we're frantic. If they didn't have the you know, peaches at the supermarket that we wanted. We're frantic. Shepherds are enduring. Shepherds have this ability to be okay when things are not okay. They have their ability to keep their head. They have the ability to persevere under difficult times. And you and I, as as representatives of the kingdom of God, listen, sometimes... I can't imagine why anybody would want to participate in our faith. It's not very attractive. We're as mean-spirited and angry and upset and stressed out as anybody else in the world. There's no qualitative difference to our inner world and our life than, than any other person that believes in any other thing. Yet we profess to believe in the eternal God of the universe who has everything in His hands who has promised us that we can cast our anxiety on him because he cares for us and we can be self-controlled and alert. We can be watchful and ready. We don't have to be reactive to our world. We can be responsive to our world. And a whole lot of times that just means this. It's going to be okay. God's in control. He's going to give us wisdom. He's going to give us wisdom and opportunity. He's prepared good works for us to do in advance. 
This doesn't happen in our head. It happens in the real world. Shepherding doesn't happen up here. It happens out here. Finally, number eight. We almost got there. Steadfast. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will himself make you strong and firm and steadfast. Just basically to know this. He's going to firm you up. Give him some time and give him some space and trust in him and put your anxiety on him and be respectful and be humble and be a servant and God will establish you. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will himself make you strong and firm and steadfast. There's going to be some times that are hard. There are going to be some times that are difficult. You may go through a whole year of pandemic. You, you may be isolated. We have to find new ways to worship. But God's not, he's not confused. The church isn't falling apart. We're not dying. We're not being imposed upon. Kings and kingdoms have come and gone and they've tried to destroy the church. But the church marches on. It marches on because it is the will of God and the purpose of God. And this is my father's world. And you and I are invited in this Lenten season to heal our sphere of influence. I'm going to invite the band to come back. And we're going to sing in a moment that song that we sang earlier today, Come and Tear Down the Walls. And I can't think of a better song to close with. To close out the Lenten season, we got another week. Next Sunday, Easter Sunday, you can break fast and celebrate the end of the Lenten season, but let's stretch out. Let's let God heal what's going on in us. Aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of all the anxiety and the stress and, and the fighting and the proclamation and the arrogance? I, I can't take one more day of all of it. Not one more loss, not one more conflict. We're not consumers of the kingdom of God. We are shepherds in the kingdom of God. So let me get personal. How is your sphere of influence? Is it marked by those qualities? A servant? Respectful, trusting, enduring. Is that who you are? Is that how people see you? Is that how they experience you? God, would you help us? As we look at the world and we look at the place in which we live and we look at the reality of just a conflict in our world and in our culture. You've invited us to be above all of that. And you've reminded us that while the world may go crazy, and it may go crazy over and over and over, there are faithful folks who just shepherd. And they shepherd with grace. They shepherd with the spirit and attitude of a servant. There's no meanness in them. No annoying pettiness. They're safe for progressives and conservatives and Democrats and Republicans. They're safe because we're a part of a kingdom that is above all of those kingdoms. We pray, we seek, we ask your will done on earth as it is in heaven. We hold your word close. We, we walk in obedience to the very best we can. 
We believe it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, that it is life itself. But we do it with the spirit and attitude of a shepherd. And we're respectful. And we're tying the knot of humility around us. God, I pray that you would give the ability to trust. That you'd remind us that we can be humble because we're humble before a good shepherd who takes good care of us. That you're working on our endurance and our steadfastness. That you're its intention to restore and make us strong. And so while you do your work in us, we're going to do our very best to shepherd those around us. Please, God, please, please, please heal our sphere of influence. Will you hear our hearts now as we sing these powerful words? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.